You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. What's up, everybody? Thanks for joining us today. My name's Ken Swanson. I'm the lead film and draft analyst for Arrowhead Pride. I hope you guys all had a Merry Christmas. We are recording this a little bit before Christmas, but it should be going up uh, on the 26th. Um, we have a lot to discuss today. We're going to do things a little bit different just because of the Christmas season, because we were recording this a little bit earlier. We're just going to talk about 10 things that you guys asked us in a little mailbag, but I think it's going to help us get everything that we need to get out. Um, and by everything, I think Matt and Craig have several things to say. They are on with me already. What's up, fellas? How you doing, Kent? This is a very somber recording after watching that pitiful performance <laughs> last night leading I'm, into Christmas Eve. What a what a way to start the holiday season was by watching that monstrosity. I'm glad that we get to get together and get these takes off of our chest before I have to go spend time with family members that are probably going to want to talk about the Chiefs, and that way I don't have to unload them on them. You're gonna like take you're gonna take it out on your family if we don't get this out beforehand. So um, let's let's just jump right in. Uh, obviously, the Chiefs just lost to the Seattle Seahawks in Seattle, um, and there's a lot of things stemming from that. I actually put this out like shortly after the game, like just a call for questions, and we had the most questions we've ever asked. 80% were about Bob Sutton, so um, we just pared down some of those, and we'll get to Bob in a minute, but we'll start with our guy at Keith McLean 78 Do you feel the coaching staff would have liked to have won this game, but were not all in on, wielding, on, all in on winning, as seen in some of the personnel and play decisions, because they have the home game versus the Raiders, which can lock up the one seed? So, you know, I think, I think there might be some truth to that, honestly. Um, just because you look at how um, Andy Andy said some really dumb things in the press conference uh, after the game, like we can all acknowledge that. Like mm-hmm. you know, some of the things he was saying did not pass the smell test as far as this is what is actually happening with starting Charvarius Ward and Tremont Smith in place of of guys that have played all season. So there there did seem to be some kind of um, willingness to uh, either they're sending a message to somebody out there. Or you know, like uh, like Orlando Skandrick and in Ron Parker, or they were just trying to get a look at some of these guys because they weren't taking this game seriously. So it does kind of it does seem like there was some disconnect between what Andy Reid was saying and what actually happened. Yeah, and I think there was an emphasis on winning from the coaches, but at the same time, they also know that there was a backup plan, so to speak, with having that game next week against the Raiders to go ahead and lock it up. Like, this wasn't a do-or-die for the Chiefs. So Andy came out and said he wanted to play some young players. He wanted to see what they had. And I think his goal was just that. He wanted to see these young guys in a game that mattered, to see what they could do, how they adjusted, how they played. But the unfortunate part is it clearly cost the team. Like, there were plenty of plays where Ward, even Tremont Smith, were actual weaknesses on the team that were being exploited. And even though Orlando Skandrick hasn't been great, 
putting him back in there likely changes the game at least a little bit. You couldn't just throw at him every single time and hope for a completion like they did against Charvarius Ward in the first half. So I think the coaching staff wanted to win on game day, but leading up to the game, there certainly was this thought process that, okay, if we don't win this week, it actually doesn't matter because if we win next week, once the Chargers lost, we still get that number one seed. And I think just judging by Andy's comments after the game, you have to believe that they thought a little bit about that going in. Yeah, and Charvarius Ward said today, or said after the game, and then Andy Reid said today, this is Monday, so the day after the game, that Charvarius Ward ran with the ones all week long, and Fuller was a game-time decision. Fuller, when he was held out, it was always the plan, even if Fuller was in, that Charvarius Ward was going to come in in place of Orlando Skandrick. So that, for certain, was always going to happen. So they weren't ever going to necessarily pull him off the field, even as badly as they were playing. But I don't understand the logic behind it, unless they're just so dissatisfied with Orlando Skandrick. And listen, I've been saying for weeks now that he looks old, he looks slow, he's problematic. But Jarvarius Ward was abysmal yesterday they never gave him any help they they had him playing off against you know some slower receivers literally his best attributes are pressing and using his physicality we saw it with all the holding penalties and everything that he had but they weren't able to throw off timing and they they kind of threw him out there I know Andy said that he didn't throw him to the wolves quote unquote but they kind of did and I don't like that even though this game had uh, no real consequences if the Chiefs win it, you know, against Oakland next week, which they should. But why force your team to have to play and have to go out and win again if you could have showed up and won, you know, last night and wrapped up the number one seed? This is the second week in a row that I feel like there were some baffling decisions. Eric Berry sitting out the second half against uh, the Chargers, and then some serious, serious mix-up in the secondary against the Seahawks that if the Chiefs just would have gone with some logical decisions, they could have won and been able to take some weeks off here, rest some guys, and then they could have given these guys a look in games that quote-unquote didn't mean anything Instead, they're putting them in games that do and making it more difficult on themselves. And here's another baffling thing for me is you're going to play young players in Ward and Tremont Smith and see what they can do. Why is Dorian O'Daniel only playing 16 snaps? Why is Jordan Lucas only playing 12 snaps? Like arguably these two guys have shown the most promise out out of your young players and you still haven't seen near enough, but why aren't you giving them snaps over players that are also clearly struggling in Reggie Ragland, Anthony Hitchens, Daniel Sorensen, Eric Berry, who is accomplishing nothing out there. Why are these other young players not getting any sna- or more snaps, but you're going to go ahead and leave Ward and Tremont Smith out there, like Craig said, on an island for the majority of the game? It's like, here's a little glimpse at some young players. We want to see what they can do, but we're not going to go all out with the young players. We're still going to leave in some other veterans. It was, it's a weird strategy going into that particular game. And that's kind of why I wonder if there's just more to it, even than we're ever gonna know. I don't know if they're holding, like they're holding Orlando Skandrick accountable or what. There's just that doesn't seem to resonate logically. And and Andy Reid is he's got flaws, but I mean he's not stupid, and he has he does still have a pulse on this team. It's 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 just a, it's very confusing, especially being on the outside. At C Buck asks. Chiefs invested draft picks and free agent dollars specifically to improve the run defense. How do you apportion their run defense failure this year between the front office, the coaching and schemes, player effort, 
and execution. I mean, I think you almost have to split it pretty evenly right now. The effort and execution on some of these plays is just inexcusable. It doesn't matter who you are as a player. The amount of times that Chiefs defenders, even guys that have had good seasons like Chris Jones or D Ford, have just kind of jogged up to a pile and just kind of pushed on it at the very end of it is insane. You watch a team like the Ravens or the Bears and how many guys fly into the ball, fly into the pile and hit somebody. Chiefs' best players, the Chiefs' defensive players that are actually good don't even do that, let alone the guys that are bad and actively missing the tackles. So you can't take away execution or effort because half the time our safeties and linebackers are just sitting there waiting for the runner to initiate the contact with them, and then it's almost like a roll of the dice if they're going to go ahead and bring them down. And then as far as the front office goes, I was questionable about Brett Veach's decisions to go so run-heavy with this particular offense and the way the defense was shaping up. So the addition of Speaks, who hasn't had much of an impact on the run or pass game. The addition of Nod, he's been helpful. He's been very good a couple plays a game. He's getting a stop, but overall his impact just hasn't been that felt. And then finally, paying Hitchens what they did, he makes a negative impact almost on a drive-by-drive basis. There is just very few drives where he does not have a major gaffe and leaves somebody running free down the field or late to react and doesn't make a tackle till after a first down. So I mean, just nothing's working. And then finally you put Bob Sutton's scheme in there. And I don't know what the scheme that they're doing differently this year is, but the entire team looks more hesitant behind the initial defensive line. Just linebackers, safeties, everybody seems afraid to just step downhill and meet a running back in the hole, almost as if no one sure is where they're supposed to be. And yeah, I can buy that somebody like Hitchens or Eric Murray maybe aren't sure where they're going to be, but Eric Berry's been here for years, and he still seems hesitant most of the time. Daniel Sorensen's been here for years. He doesn't know what he's doing. Raglan actually looked pretty good towards the end of last year, and now all of a sudden it's one out of every five plays that he decides to take a step forward. It's it's a combination of all, and I can't put my finger on which one's the biggest one to blame. Well, right now, for me, the biggest one to blame is the player effort and execution, which also reflects on the coaching and schemes. I do agree with Matt that it, you can split it almost evenly. I can find the same complaints with Matt or and agree with Matt on all three phases, but the effort and the execution is just scary to me this is a team that that should be fired up they should be wanting to prove people wrong they have the best quarterback in the league and the best offense in the league opposite them and they're playing like a team that couldn't care less i mean it they just don't they don't want to put in the effort they don't want to step up and play well and try hard uh, that that pass to edwards the the third and long where a bunch mm-hmm. of guys are just slowly jogging to it. You know, Tremont Smith misses a tackle. Anthony Hitchens is getting dragged across the line, and the corner's coming up and not being able to make a hit. That That's the epitome of what the Chiefs' defense is this year. You got, got a couple guys that want to try, and then a bunch of guys that don't want to try, and just standing around and watching other guys get dragged all over the place because they're not good enough. That's on all three phases. And then I listen to, you know, every week. Here's the same thing every week with the defensive players after the game. We're going to get things right. We're going to make improvements. We got to go in and, and make some corrections, and then we'll get back out there and do it again. This it's, it's the same old, same old, but there's no improvement. There's no growth. There's no accountability. And that does fall on the coaching staff and the players. And and we'll get to some conversations about the players here in a minute. Um at Zach LeBold, how can you look at what Anthony Hitchens did for the Cowboys and what he's doing now and not see a problem with the coaching? 
That's exactly it. The coaching, not just Bob Sutton, but the positional coaches, everything about what the structure on this defense is and who's leading it, who's holding people accountable is just wrong. I don't think that Anthony Hitchens is necessarily a will, like Matt was saying. I think he's more of a strong side linebacker, which at this point, play him there. I'm fine with it because they're not getting anything out of him at that will spot. I know the argument is, well, they paid $9 million a year to a strong side guy who's going to be a part-time player. Get what you can out of him at this point. We're, we're you know tied to this contract. We can't get out of it for a couple of years. So move him simplify his reads give him put him in the best position to succeed that's what that coaching staff refuses to do and that's not just bob that's that's mark de leon that's all these guys the assistant linebackers coach everybody like that these are the guys that need to be showing up on film day teaching them the things that they need to learn the keys that they need to do and then recognizing when those keys aren't being implemented properly and when he's just not getting it and at that point, you have to change something. you got to simplify it for them so that you can get the most out of that player. Right now, they're not. Yeah, and I think we have to, at this point, ask a question, though. Are the Dallas Cowboys, do they just happen to have a really good linebacker coaching staff? Because, yeah, Jalen Smith and Leighton Vander Esch, even Sean Lee, are extremely talented. But all these guys have gotten better since they've been with the Cowboys when they first get than when they first got there. So maybe Anthony Hitchens just happened to benefit from being in a very good inside linebacker room, looked played up to kind of these guys' level when he was playing with them. I know he took over some snaps for Sean Lee when he was hurt, but he still was always playing next to Jalen Smith. And in that room with that same general system, maybe they're just very good at coaching linebackers. And the Chiefs clearly have not been very good for a long time at this. They had Derek Johnson, who was great for them for a long time. They struggled every season, and this is before and with Bob Sutton and Andy Reid here, to get a second linebacker next to him. No matter what type of linebacker they tried to get, they could never get one to fit. Maybe the team just isn't very good at coaching and developing linebackers. And then so you have Anthony Hitchens, who maybe played a little over his head last year with the Cowboys, brought into this system where he's playing underneath whatever his level of production can actually be. And you just have this weird fit of a guy that just looks lost. He doesn't look confident in anything he sees. And part of that's knowing the system, part of that's knowing the scheme, but he might also just kind of realize that he's not that guy. And they're asking him to be that guy on every single snap because he's not leaving the field. And that's, that's a problem. That is a, that is an indictment on the defense and the and the coaching staff or and the defensive coaching staff in general and Bob Sutton. You know, I don't think these guys are not being put in the best position to succeed. I, I can think I think you can say that with confidence. And whether or not these guys are great talents, whether or not the talent is great on that side of the ball, not putting those guys in situations to succeed is an indictment. You had 16, you're going to have 16 games to figure something out that works. And they're still looking for answers. They're still, they're throwing Tremont Smith and Charvarius Ward out in a game to see what they have. And you can't, there, there's no excuse for that. You try something, try some, try something different here, folks. Like it's, it's a problem. And, and you cannot look at this and, and look at all this time that they've had and to, to find and figure something out and, and, and not get anything close to, to, to finished or, or better or improved. They're not better. They're not improved at all. They're arguably worse. Um, they are worse. They're in worse shape than they've ever been. At Charlie Boy International, 
What are y'all thoughts on DJ Swearinger and trying to sign or trying to claim him? Uh, yeah. If the Chiefs could get DJ Swearinger or even have the option to, I think that they should do whatever it takes to get there. But the fact is he's on a waiver claim list right now. The Chiefs might be sitting dead last in the AFC on it just because they used one on Kelvin Benjamin already and they kind of have the best record. So the chance of them getting to get DJ Swearinger is very, very slim. However, if it falls the right way and they get him, say teams are worried about his outbursts and the fact that he's been on like four different teams in his career, they should welcome him with open arms. Him and Kendall Fuller, I think, are pretty close. They've talked about each other in the past in interviews and things like that. So you'd already have somebody that he can kind of learn the system from a little bit quicker. And rather than just for this year, he's on the contract for next year. The Chiefs need another safety on this team. Daniel Sorensen isn't the answer. They play Jordan Lucas a little bit more, but they just seem to have some kind of hesitation about playing him. And I'm not sure if Eric Berry is going to feel up for playing from week-to-week basis. So they need another guy in the back end. DJ Swanger has been that guy for the last two years for the Redskins. You have to give him a chance if you have that option if you're the Chiefs. Yeah, he is an automatic waiver claim for me right now. He's a physical guy. He's a tone setter. And I know that a lot of people pointed to the fact that he's getting released from the Washington Redskins because he's a guy that was very critical of the coaching staff and the things that were going on on the field. And people look at that and they sort of make the natural leap to Marcus Peters being critical of the coaching staff for the Kansas City Chiefs and the Chiefs shipping him out. I'm here to say I want guys on this defense that give a crap. DJ Swearinger does. He's a guy that wants to be on the field. He's a guy that wants the defense to be better. All of his comments that are critical of the coaching staff are all because he knows that they're not playing to the level that they should. He is very publicly calling guys out because the in the locker room, the inside the locker room calling out that he's doing obviously isn't working and they're not listening to him. So he took it outside of that. I want a guy with some accountability. I don't care if it has to be a player right now. And I don't care that it's a guy that uh, may be a little bit of a pot stirrer in the locker room. I need a guy right now that's willing to get in somebody's face on the field, that's willing to hold people accountable, and that wants to play football and wants to play it at a high level and be the best defense, best defender that he can be. And if I... I think I read that he's missed one snap on defense all season. So it's a guy that is actually willing to play. It's a guy that, uh, you know, is. it seems like he's actually giving effort. Uh, and, you know, from what I've seen, I, I mean, I, I don't, you know, Marcus Peters' situation, he looked like he made a lot of business decisions. He wasn't always committed. So I don't know. Um, that's a guy I would sign. That's a guy I would sign. At John Ames, our guy, Pomade, gel, hairspray, or natural? What's the secret? This question is for Kent with the good hair. Pomade, buddy. A little wax. I put a little wax. There's like a there's a pomade I've used. There's a wax I use, but I don't spend a lot of money. I find the cheap ones. I'm 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 stunting on a budget. Don't, I've don't seen the hair care. for a second. I have seen with my own eyes the hair care product cabinet. Like most people have a medicine cabinet with, you know, medicine. No. <laughs> no. Kent has this entire shelf or three full of just straight hair care products labeled like Monday, Tuesday, mid Tuesday, <laughs> Wednesday night, going out. It was crazy. 
Matt, Matt, when when you open the cabinet, does like a chorus of angels sing and a bright light shine from behind the cabinet? Like you know, like you're blessed to be in the presence of this this hair care product well, that puts that on the hair on his care head. product was locked behind lock and key, so I couldn't actually <laughs> open the cabinet. So that just shows you how serious Kent takes his hair. I believe it. I believe it. You guys, you missed out on the on the one I have labeled for humid days. So, I mean, you didn't even see the full thing. Oh, wow. Is there like a pull-out drawer? <laughs> uh, no, it was, it was clear, plain as day. I just, you, you just must be blind. I mean, that, that's, my, uh, that's my go-to. No greater but, crime uh, on earth happens when, than when Kent wears a hat. I concur. <laughs> I almost took all of his hats away when I was there. Oh, my gosh. Okay, we'll go to something much more serious and probably something that's going to get us added on Twitter. Uh, our guy Sully Football asks, do y'all think it's sad that the fan base has given Eric Berry a pass for quitting on this team? He stood there healthy and watched his team lose. I'm not going to, I'm not, I'm going to soften this a little bit, but I do want to have this conversation. Um, it's public knowledge that Eric Berry has been medically cleared for ever. Was he ever not medically cleared? I'm not. Is that right? I'm not sure when we first he- heard that he was medically cleared, but it was a while. It back. It was a while back. Yes. Yes. And I think it, so. We do need to have this Eric Berry conversation. Um, I think it's. I think it's probably time, and I think you guys probably have a lot of s- stuff to say about it as well. Um, Eric Berry is one of the most inspirational human beings you're ever going to find, and uh, he's beat cancer. He's been through a lot. He's been through hell and back. And he's been through a lot of things that are beyond football. And um, I think perspective changes when you go through things that you are literally fighting for your life. Not just your your next contract, but your life. I think some things are different with Eric Berry on his perspective. I think there's things that are different with him on, um, on, on what he cares most about. I'm not saying he doesn't care about football. I think he cares about football. I think, um, I think you know, from a pain tolerance, we've, we've heard forever, this is a pain tolerance issue. And he does not seem to have the same kind of motivation and passion for football to play through, through, to play through pain all of the time. Now, could that be that maybe he doesn't want to go through some of the, you know, medical, you know, some of the some of the pain medication that they manage that they use to manage some of these pains? Maybe he doesn't want to to throw a lot of that into his body because he knows the damages that it can cause. Um, and, and maybe, you know, part of his decisions around, you know, that could be, you know, trying to, to deal with his his, you know, he's, he's coming back from cancer. But it does. I think Eric Berry probably should have been on the field quicker. I do. And I think it would have been nice to see him ramped up quicker. And um, to some degree, you can't blame him. But at the same time, he's also the highest paid safety in football. And he probably should have been on the field quicker than he was. It's a situation here where this dude has earned a little bit of a pass from from everybody yes. who's a Chiefs fan, media, things like that, because of all of the things that he's come back from to get back on the field. But looking at this inside a capsule here, if any other player other than Eric Berry did what Eric Berry did this season, they'd be getting crushed. 
they would get, be getting absolutely obliterated. Now, I know that, that that doesn't change the way that people should or will feel about Eric Berry, but at the same time, he is the loudest voice on that dis- defensive side of the ball. There's no question about that. He's been the loudest voice on that side of the ball for years and years and years and years. It's not Bob Sutton. It's not anybody on the coaching staff. It's not Justin Houston. He's never taken on that role. It wasn't even Derek Johnson. It was always, always, always Eric Berry. And those players are sitting there knowing that he's medically cleared, knowing that it's a pain tolerance issue, knowing that he could play if he so chose, which he admitted i know andy reed has said well we've got him on a on a snap count we've got him you know make sure that he doesn't overdo things eric berry admitted after the los angeles game that he could have played the week before but he didn't feel it in his spirit that was his post game quote direct quote so if the players in that locker room are sitting there looking at the loudest voice in the locker room the guy that is their leader the guy that is the heart and soul on that side of the ball and he's not feeling it, how do they feel? I know that professional athletes should be able to get up for games, but we're seeing it time and time again throughout this season that they're not. And I don't think that there's it's that much of a stretch to look at it and say, Eric Berry doesn't want to be on the field that much right now, so why aren't those guys, you know, those guys aren't getting up for games because their leader and the heart of the team isn't getting up for games either. Yeah, and for me, I guess it's a little bit different. I think leading up to his first game there, I was kind of in the same boat as everybody else that, or not everybody, but you guys here, and that he should be back on the field. It's a pain tolerance thing. I get it. That probably sucks. It probably hurts incredibly bad form, but you got to toughen up at this point in time. We're way too far in the season for you to keep sitting out because you don't feel good enough to play if it's not a bigger risk to injure you know, your heel, your Achilles, whatever it may be. Then the game came around, and I thought he was pretty good. I thought without Eric Berry, the defense definitely looked worse last week. I thought he played a pretty good game. He had a little bit of energy when he was in there, and all these bad feelings about what he had done up to this point doesn't matter anymore. You show up on the field and start to care, yeah, it sucks, and it's so late in the season. But when you show up and start to care again and play at a high level, that stuff kind of goes away. Unfortunately, this week rolls around, after those comments about his spirit not feeling like he wanted to play and how he feels pretty good after this game, so he's going to give it a go, we get him making a play on the very first defensive snap of the game, and then literally the only other time I saw Eric Berry was congratulating a player after a tackle downfield or sitting on the sideline with his helmet off. Like, I get it that part of it's going to be the scheme. He was designated as our single high guy while Dan played down in the box. We had him play deep a lot. The Seahawks rarely, if ever, even threw the ball downfield, down the middle of the field where he's going to be. So you're going to have a minimal impact on the game at that point. That's fine. I'm okay with that. But there are some plays there where Eric Berry of old would fly downhill from that position and make a tackle. There's 10, 15 yard runs in there. And I still don't see Eric Berry coming onto my screen. I have to watch a little bit closer, but like, what is he doing on some of these plays? Is he given the same amount of effort that he put into getting on the field as early as possible at that point in time? Because... I mean, I think everybody kind of agrees now. The effort to get back on the field definitely was not 100% from all the information that we've been given. So if he's playing like that on the field as well, what do you, what is, like Craig said, what is the rest of the team going to do? This guy's the leader, the emotional leader of the team. Does anybody else care to go out and give it their all if he's just going to hang out 25 yards off the line of scrimmage and wait for a play to come to him? 
He seemed to be doing a lot of that this week, and he just had absolutely no impact on the game. If you if you're going to go ahead and sit out, you better come up to the game and show and play as hard as you possibly can. If not, it's going to be a problem and everybody's going to care and want to talk about it. And that's where we are at this point in time. He had a non-impactful game after talking about his spirit not wanting to play against the Ravens. You can't do that if you're Eric Berry at this point in time. And I would be surprised if the Chiefs organization is completely okay with this at this point in time. It's a kind of new regime. These people aren't as loyal to him as the last regime was, and I get it. He's done a lot for this team and for the fan base. But what he's done to the team this year, if he's going to play like this for the rest of the year, I don't know if that's a player that you can plan on keeping on the team going forward or at the very least relying on in any capacity. I think that's completely fair. And I think you, I think. The Eric Berry situation actually adds to the issues that the defense has from an accountability standpoint, from a leadership standpoint. I think that there's just a lot of things. Like I think the Chiefs are just behind the eight ball with a lot of stuff when it comes to, you know, the Eric Berry situation and the leadership standpoint where he's sitting on the sidelines. And then I'm not sure that everybody's really. I don't. I don't think there's a lot of trust in Bob Sutton in that locker room right now either. So you add all those things together and you say, okay, there's deep seated issues that are going to be hard to overcome. And, and I think, I think you're seeing that on the field to some degree as well. Um, Jay Nelson asks, do you think Kendall Fuller plays if the chargers win yet on Saturday? I, I would like to think yes, but based on what they were saying, they, they really did test him out pregame. They, they really, I think Kendall Fuller wanted to play. He went and did this surgery real quick after the Chargers game, got it all casted up and everything like that. He was ready to go. He was playing with a bum finger against the Chargers. So I think that he wanted to play. I don't know if the added pressure would have changed or would have forced their hand any. Like I said earlier, Traverius Ward was going to be a boundary corner in the nickel for this team, regardless of Kendall Fuller playing or not. It ended up being Tremont Smith in the slot, which, again, isn't his strong suit either. But I, I do think, or I'd like to think, that Kendall Fuller would have played and that hopefully they were just kind of writing this off as a game that didn't matter and that's why they played those guys, even if I disagree with that. I, I'm i with Craig. I hope that's the case, but I have a feeling that this game was all about trying to see what these young guys had. And besides the Kendall Fuller part, I do think he went out there, they warmed up, he tried to give it a go, and whether it was his decision or somebody else's, I would imagine at some point in time it had to come down to being his decision. He seemed, if they were going to let him go out there and test it, that they were not going to, from a medical standpoint, say no. Either he thought that he would be ineffective or it hurt too much or whatever. It may be not in the same way that for Eric Berry, it hurt too much, but like Kendall Fuller it may have just actively not been able to go out there and use his hand at all and play once he went out there and tested it. So if you put their backs against the wall, he might have gone out there. But at the end of the day, the Chiefs were still going to make the playoffs. So it's not like if he doesn't play and this still happens, the Chiefs are out of it and their season's over. So I think with that in mind, he likely still sits out if all things remain equal. Uh, I'll just stop it there because I don't really have anything else to add. At Benjamin D. Foss asks, saw your comments about Patrick Mahomes being mad. I said that. It looked like he was visibly frustrated and, and pretty actually as visibly frustrated as I've seen on the postgame presser. Do you think this loss could actually fire this team up and make them more hungry? Could this loss have an emotional upside? Um, 
I don't think so on the defensive side of the football when it comes to they saw their performance and they aren't satisfied and they're going to go and fix it because, it's again, it's a broken record with the defense. We're going to get this stuff fixed. We're going to do this. You're running out of time. Um, I think if anything's going to change with this team, it's Patrick Mahomes changing his leadership role a little bit. I think it, it might be time for Pat to really kind of step up and push on some people on both sides of the football. I'm really starting to wonder if if this is just the time where the voice needs to be pat. And I think you're starting to see him step it up a little bit more every week. You know, you, you saw after the Kareem Hunt thing happened where he's like, put this all on me, let's go. You know, I love that. I think that's fantastic. And seeing a 23-year-old do that is is exceptional. I think it might involve Pat. And I, don't, I can't speak to every single thing he's doing, but... I kind of wonder if Patrick if if Patrick Mahomes just needs to 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 take this up another lo- level and kind of start, you know, changing some some accountability or something. I, I almost wonder if it's, it's got to fall on him. Yeah, and like you said, we don't know everything that goes on, but it sure seems to me like Pat's somebody that does show his emotion on the field negatively, positively when he's happy, when he's frustrated. Like I don't think there's ever been a time where I don't think Pat's cared. And I think I've seen him get on receivers for the drop in the ball, whether like, come on, you need to catch that, or oh, I'm sorry, that was my fault. So I've kind of seen every array or way that he could show this kind of leadership and emotion on the field. So I'm not sure what more he can do. I mean, uh, there's obviously something. There's always going to be something. But yeah. I need somebody else to step up, and it's got to be on the defensive side of the ball. I'm not too worried about the offense's energy. There's a couple tribes a game where they kind of come out and look a little flat, but they usually come back and pick it back up, whether that be Andy Reid on the sideline, whether that be the enemy getting into somebody, or Patrick Mahomes. It's fine whoever it is. I've seen a little bit of fire out of different offensive linemen, Travis Kelsey, Tyreek Hill. Like You've seen it from multiple people on offense. You just don't get that on defense. The only time you see that on defense is after a big play, which usually coincides with giving up an even bigger play in the opposite direction. So as much as I want to say this game is going to help to kind of turn the corner, unless the defense can find a way to start feeding off Patrick Mahomes, which 16 games in, I would be amazed if that happens, but maybe it will. But unless the defense can feed off of him, I just don't see where this energy and leadership is going to come from for this team right now. I, let me jump in real quick, Craig, yeah. because I, I mean, you you saw that early, though. You saw that motivation that, that the defense, you, you heard him say it. The Pat changed some things from their energy standpoint early in the season. Alan Bailey, I think Chris Jones mentioned some things. I almost wonder if there's just, I, I, I don't know if, 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 if Pat needs to go out and say something, if they're being very passive with that side of the football and just without calling, like be, be critical and, 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 and hold people accountable, but without blaming them, right? Like I almost just wonder if there's an approach and maybe they've already had that. But I just kind of wonder if, if it's time for something like that. Sorry. Go, Craig. Yeah, it's a situation where I don't know that, that Pat can have the sort of effect you know, stepping across the locker room to that side of the ball and be able to basically say, hey, you guys need to get your stuff together right now because you're going to cost us this and you know try and fire them up. I don't know that that's right. really going to fall on anything but deaf ears to this point because he is that guy that plays on the other side of the ball now that being said there was you know uh, chris jones mic'd up a a few weeks back i I think maybe it was against the ravens that um that after the the chiefs went down the field and scored a touchdown chris jones comes up and he's he's talking to tyree kill and pat mahomes and he's 
he's kind of coming to the bench with his tail between his legs a little bit saying, you know, um, I'm sorry guys, thank you, thank you, thank you, I'm sorry, you know, like apologizing for their defensive performance. So it's not like they don't As know. As they should. Right, they should have. But it's not like they don't know. They, they're they there, they see it, they watch film, they know they they know they suck. But Besides Stephen they, Nelson. <laughs> yeah, except Stephen Nelson. My goodness. <laughs> Apparently getting into it with he Larry no Johnson clue. as we speak about you know what's going on. But it's a situation where I don't know that there's a guy that can necessarily step up and get in somebody's face that's in that locker room to help motivate the defense. They know they're bad, and they're just playing really badly. I don't know that this performance changes it or anything. I think the only real guy that could do it is if Andy Reid has to step in and talk to personnel. We know Andy Reid does not like to do that. We knew that from last year with the Marcus Peters situation. He doesn't like to come in and have to handle things, handle the players, do anything like that, especially on the defensive side of the ball. He kind of lets them do their thing and self-monitor a little bit. If Andy Reid steps in and has to say something, I think that's about the only spot where things could change. And we saw a little bit on the sidelines, him talking to Bob Sutton this week about rush lanes, JV-level stuff about how to contain (laughs) Russell Wilson when rushing the passer. We saw him talking about that on the sidelines while the defense was on the field. And he's usually parked over on the bench next to Pat. So I don't know if that's coming. I don't know if Andy Reid's going to step across the line and say, all right, Bob, you're not getting the job done and getting these guys motivated, so I need to step up and do it. I, I just that's not hit necessarily his mo. So we'll we'll see. But I don't think that this is really going to be much more of a blip on their radar than anything else. And like I understand it's a very delicate situation with trying to approach that. But it's like and it, here's where it's kind of gets sad. It almost feels like like I don't know who else to turn to as far as who can really help try to get a message across. And it maybe it is Andy Reid. And I know it, it is a very hard situation. Like, you can't go out and tell them that they suck because they already know that. And you can't go out and, like, you know, try to blame them. But, like, at, at some point, like, there's – there's I'm, I'm, running, I'm running out of answers. And I just feel like, you know, the one guy that has, you know, carried this team and, and they know has carried this team – He's gotta it's gotta hold some weight if he goes and says something. I don't know how he says it or what he says, but that's just kind of where I'm at. Last question at Golf Jones asks After watching the past few weeks, what is your thought or prediction on us, the Chiefs, actually winning a playoff game? So this game broke me a little bit more than everybody else, and I think maybe it was because I felt a little bit better about the Chiefs still than anyone else, or maybe it was that I am lower on the Seahawks than most other people are. But essentially, the Seahawks are a team that if you're a contender in the playoffs, if you're trying to get to the championship game, not just win it, but get to it, you beat the Seahawks. They're not such a good team that you should go in and lose in a game that you really don't look that good in as a team. So with that in mind... I'm not sure with the Chiefs right now. Like, I really am not. They might get a favorable matchup against the Colts or something like that in the second round, and then maybe they can pull it off. But this team has to be carried by its offense, and not just they have to win a 30-28 to point game. No, their offense has to score well into the 30s, possibly even 40s. That might not even work if you see the Rams game for this team to win because the defense has been that bad. And leading up to this week, my only thought was, Well, the Chiefs' offense can put up those kind of numbers. They can put up those points. 
so they can do it. If they can keep the opposing offense having to throw the ball, be behind, throw the ball, the pass rush can get their pin their ears back, and they can get to the opposing quarterback. So we're feeling good. We're feeling good. Then we get to this game, and it's more of the same that we've seen since Sammy Watkins has gone down. This offense is just inconsistent. There's no consistency from drive to drive. It feels like everything they do is very hard. And I don't mean like hard on an individual basis. Pat makes amazing things look super easy. But if you just watch a team and success and the level of difficulty of the plays, the Chiefs have to make 9 out of 10, 10 out of 10 plays over and over again to move the ball down the field. Whereas early in the year, they had plenty of 4s and 5s on the level of difficulty. It's just something that's changed as the year's gone on. And I would like to say, because I know people are going to bring it up, that having Sammy Watkins back, maybe LDT back is going to help that. But here's the thing. This has happened last year with Andy Reid too, and the year before. This is something that's happened to Andy Reid teams for years now. The Chiefs go out there and they run their plays. Andy Reid, and I don't want it to be bad, but kind of has a little bit of a God complex with his offense. He's got his set of plays. He's got what he wants to do, and he doesn't want to change it. When was the last time we saw the Chiefs with like a very specific game plan to attack a defense? You watched last week, the 49ers ran, I would say, at least three-fourths of their uh, passing concepts were to beat the cover three of the Seattle Seahawks. The Chiefs barely run any. They're just out there running their offense. Yeah, they might have stuff that beats a cover three, but it's not the whole entire concept of the play. They're out there trying to out-execute the opposing team, and that's just not a way you can win once you get to the playoffs. Andy Reid's going to have to buckle down. He's got to change a little bit on offense right now because the consistency just isn't there. We can score 30 points and not have a great game, but it's just so difficult to do it that being able to rely on that week to week to week just doesn't seem likely. So right now, no, I do not feel great about the Chiefs winning a playoff game because I don't trust the offense to be consistent on a drive-by-drive basis until they start adapting for the team they're playing rather than just trying to run out there like they're playing a scout team and just be better than them. I'm along the very similar lines here. He kind of alluded to it already, but the offense has to play perfect to get this going. Uh, They can't have slip-ups. We can look at the game from Sunday night against the Seahawks and point to several drives where the Chiefs offense did not look good. Uh, They punted the ball away too often. They fumbled the ball twice and set the Seahawks up with decent, really good field position for one of them that resulted in a touchdown. This is a situation where the offense can't do that. You have zero wiggle room because on the defensive side of the ball, they are so poor. You're going to get into the playoffs here and you're going to have to see, I'm not scared of the Colts like Matt, but you're going to have to see Baltimore or Los Angeles where the Chiefs had to you know have a miracle fourth down by Patrick Mahomes. It's just a ridiculous throw to beat Baltimore, send that to overtime. Against the Chargers, they allowed them to march down the field twice in the final four minutes and score. While I believe the Chiefs can win those games, they don't necessarily put themselves in a position where they have any margin for error and with an offense like the Chiefs there should be some margin for error we know Pat's going to come out and be juiced for this playoff game he's juiced for every primetime game that we've seen so far missing guys early overthrowing things you know just not making the correct read necessarily until he settles in which is a fine thing because he always makes up for it but at this point You can't allow that to happen in a playoff game. You have to dig yourself out of a hole time and time again because this defense is not built 
to play from behind, and that makes it really tough against really good teams that you're going to see in the playoffs. The only counter to that I have is the Chiefs did play from behind against New England. They did play from behind against the Rams. They did play behind from the from the against the Ravens and they you know they put themselves in positions to potentially win that game a few things go right here or there and some of those games are wins um and I, I understand what you guys are saying Patrick Mahomes can drag this team through a bad game plan though and I think with Sammy Watkins if Sammy Watkins plays against the Ravens the next time I think that's a huge factor there I think that you know this team every team in the AFC still has flaws like all of them there's everybody else is looking at their team and going I don't know if we can do this it's just more wide open it's more wide open than it was you know in other years the Chiefs are going to probably be the one seed and they're still going to be a very flawed football team but guess what they're a flawed football team that gets to play at home and I I still have some optimism right now if you told me I I would guess the Chiefs lose in the AFC championship game that's that's my prediction as as we stand here right now that's my guess um but uh you know they got they got to fix some things obviously they and hopefully you know we're just hoping aimlessly right now because i mean nothing else has changed but um i still think that they can you know win a game be in another one i i still think it's very very feasible that's going to do it for the last episode of the ap laboratory for 2018 Thank you guys so much for listening. I know I speak for Matt and Craig when I say we're, I can't believe that we're, we get to do this. I get to talk about the Chiefs with two of my buddies, and I get to write about the Chiefs, and it's absurd, and it's, it's, not, it's ridiculous. Like I, I'm, I'm so grateful. So um, thank you guys so much for listening, and we will talk to you in 2019. That's kid's Christmas present to Craig every week. It's like, oh, hey, I get to watch Mahomes. You get, a, you get to go chart how many times Reggie Ragland played over Dorian O'Daniel. Merry Christmas, buddy. Hello, I'm Spencer Hall from SB Nation, and I want to tell you about my new show, It Seemed Smart. It Seemed Smart is a show about people doing things that, for some reason or another, seemed smart at the time. Those things might include doing a little cocaine and driving a bike up a mountain, or... I don't know, maybe racing 100 miles per hour across the country in the middle of the night with no one's permission. Or even stealing a bat from an umpire's room in a Major League Baseball park. Check it out, and if you like it, tell a friend. I'm Spencer Hall. Don't do anything smart. More to-dos, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You can just use HubSpot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this, high-quality leads, fast-closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark-breaking quarters. It's not a miracle, it's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today.